I mean, somebody said to me recently that science doesn't work without the right policies, right? And I think that's a that was a wake up call for me when you know when I was told that because as scientists, myself and you match, we work to discover new drugs and develop new drugs that are safer and better tolerated for patients, better options. But I think we need to work with uh, certainly better policies to make it available to most. On behalf of the members of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering, welcome to this inaugural edition of Learning and Living STEM in Connecticut, the podcast of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering. My name is Tandillion. I'm an elected member of the Academy and in 2020 was elected to the Academy's Governing Council, and I'm pleased to serve as host for this podcast. The Academy is a nonprofit created by Special Act of the Connecticut General Assembly in 1976 with key areas of work, including advising and informing the people and the state of Connecticut on science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and medicine, collectively known as STEM. This podcast is key to sharing with the residents of our state interesting STEM developments and increasing visibility for the state's innovators and entrepreneurs, businesses and industries, academics, our talented workforce, and those doing STEM-related work in public service. I am pleased to have as our guests from Vive Healthcare, Umesh Hanume Gauda, Vice President of Discovery Research, and Max Latayad, Vice President and Head of Early Development and Research Strategy for Clinical and Practicing Clinicians at Yale. We'll be talking about the current status of HIV treatment and research. Umesh first and then Max. Can you tell us just a bit about yourselves? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, glad to be here. My name is Umesh Haname Gauda. Um, I am the Head of Discovery at Weave Healthcare we are located in Brantford, Connecticut, and Weave Healthcare is a company focused on HIV research. Max? Uh, good morning to you and to your listeners. Uh, my name is Max Latayad, and I am the head of uh, Global Research Strategy, Early Development, and I oversee the treatment pipeline at Weave Healthcare. I'm also a practicing physician at Yale New Haven uh, Health System, especially uh, volunteering at the HIV clinic and the Infectious Disease Service at the West Haven VA in Connecticut. Fantastic. Glad to have you both on and very much appreciate uh, the insights that you're both going to deliver. So let's get, let's get right into it. Max, there's a common perception that HIV is a medical problem that has been solved. Why is this truly a misconception and why is your company 100% focused on helping patients living with HIV? That's a great question. I think that uh, because we have uh, better medications now, they're better tolerated and uh, having HIV is not a death sentence anymore. Uh, people are thinking that HIV is not a major problem. 
In fact, a young person diagnosed with HIV today can live a normal life and have a similar life expectancy as somebody without HIV as long as they take their medications. But let me tell you why this is a misconception. If you take the problem globally, in 2021, the last time we had the survey for global HIV cases, there are 38 million people living with HIV worldwide. 1.7 million of those people are children and adolescents. 650,000 people died of HIV in 2021. So you can see that broadly uh, uh, and globally, this is a major pandemic still. Now we have made some efforts uh, and we've made some great strides because about 28 million people are on the treatment and are getting access. But it doesn't mean that these 100% of these 28 million people are suppressed. And therefore, that's a problem globally because they can transmit the, the disease to other uh, uh, people. If we bring it closer to home in the U.S., 1.2 million people are living with HIV in the U.S. One in eight people do not know they have the disease, which is a problem right there. And we're still getting, which is very upsetting, 30 to 35,000 infections every year in the U.S., and so I do think that this is unacceptable in the U.S. that we're still getting this number in terms of 30 to 35,000 per year. So you can see where uh, this is a misconception there. I think the second part of your question uh, is also very important. I think the world and frankly the U.S. needs companies like Viv that are 100% dedicated to people living with HIV. In fact, this is a part of our mission to leave no person living with HIV behind. And our global vision is to be there until HIV or AIDS is not, and therefore curing the disease. So I do think that besides being a company that's been uh, labeled as uh, innovators and disruptors, a company that has shown great innovation over the last 10 years, we also are very in tune with unmet needs for people living with HIV. And certainly we can talk about that as far as your next questions. Uh, thank you, Max. I'm going to, I'm actually going to jump over to Umesh uh, really quickly, if I may, because something you said about uh, a cure. So, so Umesh, uh, why is there no cure for HIV and when will there be one? So to answer your question, why there is no cure for HIV, uh, we need to know a little bit about the virus, what it does at a molecular level. Now, first of all, the virus, once it enters the cell, that's the host cell, in this case, the human lymphocytes, which are a type of blood cells, it can integrate into the host genome. By that, I mean it can insert its genetic material into the human genetic material, and that makes it very difficult to remove the virus. Okay. And secondly, it can mutate. It is prone for mutation. What that means is it can change. It's a small change, but significant enough that it cannot be tackled by a therapeutic vaccine. And lastly, but most importantly, is that this virus can hide. So it can stay dormant in a tiny number of infected cells in many tissues, and that, that's what we refer to as the reservoir. And that, that's how it escapes immune surveillance and the normal antiretroviral medications cannot target them. 
So because of these things, you know, it's a sneaky virus. It knows to integrate, it can mutate, and it can hide really well. And that makes it very difficult to cure HIV. Now, regarding the question uh, you said, like when there will be one, when there will be a cure for HIV. Sure. Now, it's a tough question um, because of the reasons I mentioned. It's going to be really challenging to find something like a sterilizing cure. By sterilizing, I mean removing every HIV particle from every infected cell in the body. It's going to be really challenging. However, I am optimistic that there could be or there will be a functional cure. By that, I mean one can expect longer durations of treatment-free remission, and that's possible. Wow, that's, I mean, thank you for, for putting it in such clear perspective. I mean, you people lose a lot of sight of how difficult it is to tackle the HIV virus. And uh, it's been with us for so long that people just get complacent, I, I, I think. So thank you, thank you very much for that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch beats and just go back over to uh, to Max really quickly, if I may. Uh, so so speaking about uh, you know the unmet needs, what what are your thoughts on the unmet needs of people living with HIV in the U.S. and also worldwide today? Because it seems like it's more endemic worldwide than than in the U.S. We just spoke about one of the great unmet needs, right? I think that we're getting way too many infections still. I think we need to do a better job at stopping the HIV epidemic by preventing infections. The second unmet need that is uh, getting to be part of the success of treating HIV is that we are getting an older and older population. And I think when you have an older HIV population, they're taking other medications for things like hypertension, diabetes, or high cholesterol that are interfering right, with our HIV medications. So drug-drug interaction, I think, is an unmet need. The third thing that I would say is that we are still getting people that are dying of AIDS, uh, the people that are running out of medications and those that have had HIV for a long time, and then now the virus may be resistant to their medications. I think that that's a separate part right there. And then unmet needs still in, in pediatric patients uh, that are still getting 1.7 million infections per year globally. And then the next thing that I would switch to in terms of unmet need is our ability to address stigma, which is still a great issue in the U.S. and globally, and health disparities. And I think that's very sad to see health disparities in HIV mirroring some of the disparities uh, in the U.S. and globally. For example, if you think about the number of people uh, that are men having sex with men getting HIV, even though they represent a very small percentage of the U.S. population, they get just about 66% of HIV infections. When you think about the African-American population, which is only 13% of the U.S. population, almost 50% of the new HIV cases are in African-American. And then last but not least, if you think about African-American women, in terms of the new infections in women, they represent something like 57% of those cases. So those health disparities, I think, need to be addressed aggressively for us to be able to solve the problem of HIV and HIV transmission. 
the last case that I'll sh share with you is that if you think about the people in the hotspots in the United States that need prevention the most, they're getting it less and less. For example, out of the 1.1 million people that were eligible for prevention, which means that we have about 1.1 million people in the U.S. that are at risk of getting HIV, only 9% of these people were people of color accessing prevention. So you could see where there's a disparity, right? The hotspots, uh, you know, and the gender and the race where you have most infections, they're getting prevention less and less. And I think that those are huge unmet needs that we need to be able to address. And to get back to why we are 100% um, HIV invested is that Vive is one of the key companies that are part of the ending the HIV epidemic uh, and working with the federal government to get it done. And we can talk about that uh, in your next questions uh, if, if you want to go there. Yeah, let's 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 just jump into that because I, I mean, what's the so so the standard of care uh, seems to to be the major issue, as you said, with 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 the way these health discrepancies are based on certain populations. So, so how is the standard of care evolving? And with new advances or recently approved medicines, how how is that uh, helping to benefit those those uh, minorities or those minority populations that you described? Well, what a great question. I mean, somebody said to me recently that science doesn't work without the right policies, right? And I think that's a that was a wake-up call for me when when I was told that, because as scientists, myself and you match, we work to discover new drugs and develop new drugs that are safer and better tolerated for patients, better options. But I think we need to work with uh, certainly better policies to make it available to most. Now, the standard of care is not the problem, because I think over the years, the standard of care has evolved to offer one pill once a day, generally safe, well tolerated, and if you think about Vivo over the last 10 years, we've been the most innovative company and we've turned the standard of care upside down a few times. Mm. Because if you think about that, we introduced the first two-drug regimen. Because when I trained at Yale uh, in infectious disease and HIV, we were trained to only give three, to always give three drugs. But our drugs are so potent that we were actually able to um, change the standard of care and the treatment paradigm to say, hey, you don't need three drugs because our drugs are so potent, you can take two. And I think Dovado and Jaluca, which are two once-a-day pills for treatment and switch or maintenance of HIV patients are the results of the such innovation. And then on top of that, we went further to say, if you don't want to take a pill every day, we have an option for you that you can take every two months. So for example... Hmm. Um, instead of taking a pill 365 days per year, sure. you could take you could go to the clinic six times a year and take yeah. two injections every two months. So if you're thinking about the standard of care, I think that there's a lot of innovation that is happening, a lot of first that should help us take better care of HIV positive people and then prevent new infections. And the last example that I give to you is that they are excellent. Um, PrEP drugs. And what I mean by PrEP is a prophylactic drugs that you can take um, 
uh, aptitude, which is a long-acting carbotegavir, uh, uh, carbon, uh, uh, which is an integrase inhibitor, you can take that every two months for prevention of HIV. In addition to the oral drugs we have, I think that we need to do a better job at preventing uh, HIV. And if you think about what Yumesh was talking about from a Q perspective, and you try to put it in perspective in the population we are living in, in, in sort of a, the times we are living in, the ending the HIV epidemic is really looking at uh, suppressing 90% of people, uh, making sure that 90% of people have access, and preventing 90% of infections. So that's one of the ways to end the HIV epidemic. For example, in Connecticut, which I think has done well compared to the rest of the states. I think last year we had something at less than 200 infections in Connecticut. The issue to me is going to be nationally, we need to get serious about preventing HIV. Number one, big testing campaign. Let's find out who has HIV. Number two, let's treat those who have HIV, making them undetectable. Because we know that once you're undetectable, you cannot transmit the virus. It's called U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmissible. So now once we get that under control, we prevent people from getting HIV with long-acting antiretrovirals by going to key hotspots in the United States. The South is getting 50% of HIV infections in the U.S. and some key spots there and gender and race. Make sure they don't get HIV. And then after we did that, crushing HIV transmission, then UMesh and the Discovery uh, colleagues and us, we can focus on curing the people who have HIV at the same time. So I think if we stick to the ending the HIV epidemic, 90, 90, 90, I think by 2030, our goal is to go from 30,000 infections in the US to 3,000. And I think we actually crush HIV transmission in the US and globally if we're applying the same concepts. Wow, that's a, that's a very ambitious goal for 2030. And uh, yeah, to, to some of the points that you highlighted, you know, it seems like being able to take an injection every few months would potentially help with compliance and uh and the stigma as you mentioned is is you know the the social the the psychosocial issues that that occur in society do have a major effect also the uh it, it appears understanding and and training and having people educated on some of these issues seems very relevant and uh, important. So so thank you very much, Max. So I'm gonna switch over uh, to, to Umesh because I want to, uh, to to get a bit more insights on uh, on some of the things that can be done here. So, so Umesh, uh, what medical and other advances may be seen in the near future, next five to 10 years, so to speak? That's a great question. Um... Now, there is a lot of research going on in the field, and scientists have um, taken every possible approach to tackle this virus. And, and, and Max, as he eloquently mentioned, we have come a long way uh, from multiple pills a day to one pill a day, and now one injection every two months. So in the near future, we can expect medications that could be dosed much infrequently, something like once every six months or possibly once every year. And um, 
there could be also agents that could target the reservoir. Reservoir, are, that's the where the virus hides. Uh, that's to take out the latently infected cells using modalities like broadly neutralizing antibodies, uh, latency reversal agents. And there could also be agents that, would, that could address comorbidities or aging, uh, which are uh, common issues when people living with HIV. And there are also attempts to excise or uh, cut out the viral genome from the host genome using gene editing technologies. And there are approaches taken to use engineered cells like CAR T cells to tackle the infection. And in the long run, perhaps there will be a therapeutic va vaccine to treat and hopefully a prophylactic vaccine to prevent infection in the first place. Interesting, interesting. You said, uh, you mentioned something, you said latency regenerative. Can you just expand upon that just a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, it's, it's called a latency reversal agent. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So, so when this virus hides, which is, which makes it really difficult to cure. Sure. So these latency reversal agents are the agents that can wake up those latently hiding infected cells. And that's one approach. Once we remove them from hiding, we can kill them. And that's how we reduce the reservoir um, uh, and, and go towards a perhaps a functional cure or towards a sterilizing cure. I see. Okay. Thank, thank you for that clarification. So, so just uh, sticking to this, uh, this, this train of thought, what, what other medical or scientific advances excuse me, have been gained as a result of HIV research or treatments, uh, Umesh? Yeah, there is a tremendous amount of knowledge gained from HIV research, which has been applied in other areas, in infectious agents, uh, infectious disease areas, and most notably COVID-19. Ah, yes. Okay. Uh, the infrastructure built during the last four decades of HIV research has helped tremendously ad address the COVID-19 pandemic. By infrastructure, I mean the research in infrastructure, the clinical trial network infrastructure, and the global network of uh, institutions and agencies which were established to provide access, the HIV medication access to patients have all helped tremendously in addressing this pandemic. Just from a research perspective, um, it has helped developing the diagnostics, antibody therapeutics, and eventually the vaccines. And the clinical trial network facilitated efficient and effective conduct of the vaccine clinical trials. And from a global perspective, uh, the network of institutions, agencies, pharmaceutical companies, they all helped getting the vaccine access at a global level. Thank you, Umesh. The, uh, yeah, that's a very, very great point. I don't think many people realize that, you know, because of all the research that's been done so far, we that has helped facilitate us getting out of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and uh, providing therapeutics for, for those that uh, were uh, 
adversely affected. So uh, yeah, it's 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 not something that most people realize, and definitely not something that I I actually thought about. But uh, very very well noted. So I definitely appreciate that. So so just uh, want I wanted to try to switch the uh, the conversation a bit, just to to try to have people understand, you know how you both got into the fields that you're in because there's definitely we have a lot of young listeners on the line and you know you guys are uh, folks that they can look up to and you know they, they they may aspire one day to actually be in your position uh, hopefully so so I'll, I'll start with umesh first can you can you give any advice to some young folks that would like to potentially do what you do one day, and and then we'll switch over to Max. Sure. Um, I would say in two different ways. One is from a knowledge perspective. Um, You know, take the right course. uh, Be strong in your core subjects. Like, for example, if, if anybody wants to be in the field that I am in, I would say have a strong foundation in biology, biochemistry, molecular biology, that's important. And the other aspect is kind of philosophical. You know, if you ask me, um, be persistent. Um, If you believe in something and you have got a scientific basis for your belief, be persistent, never give up, and eventually you will succeed. Switch over to Max. Max, can you... uh... Can you give any any insights or advice to some young folks, please? I think having worked with you, Mesha, for so long, I do agree. And he knows uh, my sort of way of looking at life is to never give up, right? Sure. And having a winning sort of personality, sort of winning leadership ideas. And so from my perspective, uh, you know, I had humble ideas as far as what I wanted to be. I only wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was growing up. Right. Huh. And so um, I remember then uh, getting into college and thinking about my first year, who I wanted to be and going into the field of uh, allied health and going into clinical laboratory sciences. But eventually what changed the course for me is to understand what I wanted to bring to the world, what I wanted to bring to society, what kind of change I wanted to make. And I think that veered me toward a master of public health, understanding sort of uh, how disease affects society, and then later on to understand vaccines and getting into medical school. Because I think when I went to medical school, I went there to be an infectious disease physician and ended my fellowship and training at Yale to be an HIV doctor. But all of that is having the bigger idea of what do I want to be in the world and how do I want to change the world. One thing that I'm always very um, humbled by is that one of the medications we uh, developed at Vive called uh, Dolutegavir is being given to 24 million people around the world. And I know the people that developed the drug and we work together. And to me, I find that to be extremely humbling and powerful at the same time. So what I would tell young people is really to focus on careers that are going to give you 20 to 30 to 40 years of the ability to innovate. 
careers mm-hmm. such as like engineering. And I agree with you, Mesh, you have to be strong in science. We're going to need people to um, discover new things, uh, biomedical engineering, mechanical, robotics, you know, in terms of the next wave of engineering. And then allied health, uh, nursing, medicine, um, uh, pharmacology, uh, we're talking about physician assistants, talking about the field of allied health, because I do feel that like we need to get serious about things like neuroscience, Alzheimer's disease, and keep finding ways to cure cancer and help with aging. Because I think we have a very big issue with aging of population in the U.S. and globally. So young people, I would say that uh, it's okay to have big dreams, uh, but get prepared, uh, be solid with your education. And remember that, uh, especially with uh, kids of color, education, I think, is a major pathway forward uh, to success. And the more education you can get, the more you should uh, actually try to uh, take in and uh, and uh, bring in more education into your portfolio as far as how you're going to grow in this society. Thank you both for uh, for those two insights. And and I think that the, the, the common thread there was perseverance, right? And uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. You need, you're going to need perseverance in order to accomplish anything in this life. So, so thank you for that. And it's not, not, it's not too bad to, to want to be a professional soccer player either. <laughs> so, so at, at this juncture, I, I'd like to uh, thank our guests, uh, Dr. Umesh Hanume Gauda and Dr. Max Latayad. For those living in Connecticut and others turn, tuning in from outside of our state, we enjoyed learning about your research. So again, thank you so much for all those insights. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And visit the Academy's website at www.ctcase.org. That's www.ct. C-A-S-E dot O-R-G. To learn more about the guests, read the episode transcript, and access additional resources, as well as to sign up for the case bulletin. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests. I'd like to thank Vive Healthcare for allowing them to, to be on our podcast, and I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs>